recorded, but we're recording live, I think is what's happening. Welcome to Mention and Dispatches. And yes, at this point, we are now out of sequence as to which episode we're on. And uh, and these are not necessarily being released in the order in which we've recorded them. Thank you, Vladimir Putin, for invading another country and throwing off our schedule. And if you've been listening all season long, then you understand why that is relevant. So tonight... Here on Mention and Dispatches, we've got a couple of guests here to talk about something from the professional wargaming world. And so to that end, our buddy Chris Weave is back. Chris, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Awesome. Awesome. Glad to have you here. And Merle has returned. Uh, we bring out Merle whenever we got to talk about connection stuff. So welcome, Merle. Howdy, everybody. And so this is this is this year's sort of infomercial for Connections Online coming up in April of 2022. And we're going to talk a bit about that conference in particular and connections as as a movement. I think we've decided on movement as the the terminology here for connections. Before we dive into that, we do need to update something from a previous podcast. So again, I mentioned we're we're releasing these things a little out of order based on when we recorded them as we've adjusted for current events. And so on last week's podcast that we just released, we had made mention of uh, Jeff Smith, who was the founder of MACE out in the the game convention that's run here in the Carolinas for 25 years. And, and Jeff was the, the guy behind Mace, behind the company that, that ran it. He was the founder. He was the, he was the godfather of Mace. Um, as we had mentioned on a previous podcast that Jeff had been diagnosed with cancer, um, in between the time in which we recorded that podcast and it got released, Jeff unfortunately passed away. He he uh, he lost the fight with cancer and and he had passed away. And as we are now recording this, the first week of March, um, Jeff's funeral was just this past weekend. As we're recording, so about two weeks ago, by the time you're hearing this, uh, Mace West is still going to happen. That's still you know in the plans, and they are going to execute that one. There is going to be one more semi-Mace-like convention uh, this fall that's officially going to be the For Jeff Con, and it's going to be a convention that's being organized by a lot of the people that are mainly behind Mace as kind of a tribute to Jeff, uh, proceeds being donated to the family, and and all the organizational labor being, being donated by everybody involved. So pay attention to the website. We're going to release some more information about this. Uh, Jeff was a pillar of the gaming community here in the Southeast for a long time. Time. Uh, fantastic dude, loved by many and going to be missed by many. Not just his 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 actual family, but his much extended gaming family. Uh, wonderful dude, and, and the gaming world is a poorer place without him. And it is unfortunately a bit of a somber note to start off with, but I wanted to make sure that we got that information in early because of the need to update what was on last week's podcast. So, with all that said, let's move on, and we're going to talk some connections online here instead. So, Chris, Connections Online. We had this crazy idea to kind of do something like this last year, and and we pulled it off with, what, like six weeks of actual prep work or something ridiculous? Um, Maybe a little more than that. Chris, if you just nod on camera, nobody can hear you because we're not recording the video. You're still talking. Got it. Waiting for you to stop talking. Might be a while. With all that, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to let you tell us all about Connections Online, what, why, where, how, et cetera, et cetera. Talk to us. So a little bit about the history of Connections Online. Connections Online started as a spin-off of the Wait For It Connections Conference. Now, um, uh, those of us who started attending the Connections Conference in the 1990s or the early 2000s just refer to it as Connections. Now it's known as Connections U.S., 
Um, but this is a conference that was started by Matt Caffrey uh, back when he was at the Air War College uh, at Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama. And it ran down there for a number of years. And since then, it sort of moved to other places. Uh, it has a tendency to move around. And so when COVID hit, there was we were faced with the prospect of not being able to do the in-person connections conference. And so there was discussion about doing an online version of connections. And indeed, the Center for Naval Analysis eventually sponsored an online version of the Connections Conference. But I got thinking about this and realized, you know, it's about time that there be a permanent online Connections Conference because the Connections Conference started off as just connections. And since then, it's turned into something that's been become multinational. Um, at some point, the Brits said, hey, we're going to do something just like connections. Is it OK if we call it connections? And Matt said yes. And then we ended up with Connections UK. And I think that Connections North in Montreal was the next group to start doing that. And by the time you add it all up, there's now an either um, either permanent or at least with one-offs, there's been something like eight different Connections conferences, including last year's Connections Online. And so basically, if you're on any continent except Antarctica or at this point Africa, there's at least one Connections conference that you can go off to. I don't know if the rumors that Elon Musk wants to go to Mars so he can found a Connections conference there is true or not. Um, but I'd like to think that that would be on the short list of things that need to happen once the Martian colony is established. And I, so, I'm willing to volunteer for Connections Antarctica. I'm just saying, I'm 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 willing to go down there for a couple of days, run the show, call it good, come on home. That would be cool. That's a, not a continent I've been to, and I'd love to go to that continent. We did Connections Online last year. Uh, it was an outstanding success, I think. I mean, uh, my my criteria for a successful conference last year was that we establish all the standard operating procedures that we needed in order to make the conference work and we figure out how to make that conference work and we successfully execute it. Notice how my criteria for success does not include anyone actually attending the conference. Um, I was perfectly okay with the idea that we threw a party and nobody came as long as we learned how to throw a party in the process. And as it turns out, a bunch of people came and it worked. And so, you know, we're going to make a few changes because, you know, we, it's, everything wasn't 100% perfect. We think that there's some places where we could do better. Um, I'd also like to to publicly thank Brant and Merle and uh, the Armchair Dragoons for supporting the conference because it's basically, you, we're it, right? The regular Connections Conference has a team of about between a dozen and 18 people that in theory are part of the planning staff and do stuff, et cetera. But we essentially did it with the three of us organizing things. We brought in um, Gary Mengla uh, of- um, Ardwolf's Lair. Ardwolf's Lair. Thank you. Thank you for, for reminding me. We brought in Ardwolf to be uh, one of the StreamYard junkies to help uh, to help with the physical production of it so that Merle and I could run around and do other stuff. And we had a couple of people that helped monitor Discord uh, during the conference itself. And so, I mean, literally, we put on a conference with six people of whom three people did 
all the work before the conference and it came off perfectly. So the format of the conference is we, we do 12 sessions over three days for the core events. We have extended events and I'll let Brant talk about that or Brant and Merle talk about that. The core, uh, we do it in a format of a one hour intro, then two two hour sessions and then a one hour follow up. The reason why those two hour sessions are two hours long is because I've noticed over going to lots of wargaming conferences and professional conferences and, um, and science fiction conventions, that if you give people an hour, generally you're right up against the end of it. And people are always unsatisfied because, you know, they, we, we had to rush something, et cetera. You give people two hours for their panel or whatever, that seems to be, you know, things sort of peter out and it's okay. And so we explicitly tell people, you don't have to use the two hours. If you think you get to a natural stopping point, then stop. It's okay to let, give people extra time to go, you know, make a sandwich or whatever. And that format really seems to work out very well. I'm looking forward to doing it again. And uh, we're now at the point where we're about five weeks out. So we have to kind of get our act together and, <laughs> and finalize all that stuff. But we're, we're getting there. We're pretty close. We don't have all the names associated, but we're working on it. So it's going to be the 19th through the 21st of April, starting at 10 a.m., ending at 4 p.m. Those are Eastern time. Um, I call that time zone Washington State to Warsaw, because if you live in that swath of planet Earth, you can attend the conference without doing anything, attend it live, without doing anything too egregious to your sleep schedule. If you're in Australia, I'm sorry, I just can't help. I just can't help you for your yeah, Singapore, Mumbai, you're just screwed. Sorry. Yeah, you're just screwed. Japan, sorry, can't do it. Oh, and you know, it's all going to be on, on it's going to all end up on uh, YouTube, right? So if you don't want to pay the whatever we're charging, it's like five bucks. I forget five what bucks, we, yeah. five bucks. It's going to be something like that. If you don't want to pay the five bucks to attend live and participate in Discord and ask questions live, et cetera, and you just want to watch it after the fact because maybe you live in Australia or something, you know, we're, we'll are we we'll wait a week or so, sort of, you know, go through, uh, double check everything, and then we'll just uh, make it live on YouTube and you'll be able to see it. If you want to see sort of in general terms what you're you're signing up for, go do a search for Connections Online and you can watch all 12 episodes plus some extras in the extended episode, all 12 sessions from last year's Connections Online. They're or they could just YouTube. scroll down to the bottom of this post and click on the link that we're going to put on there. Well, yeah, you could do that. I'm just saying saying it's that yeah hyperlinks are cool that way hyperlinks are cool that way the other thing to point out is yeah. the way we run this convention is by using just a couple of tools we have all the video productions for the core hours on youtube and we also use a discord server and the advantages of those methods are even though we want you to participate interactively and ask questions during the show you don't have to be there during the show you'll be able to look at the videos after the fact and ask questions of almost all of our participants on the discord server outside of normal business hours even up to a couple of weeks after the convention and well, get answers. And, and while that is true, let's let's do throw out the caveat that you're only going to get access to the Discord server if you're a paid attendee. Yeah. Um, and, and similarly, you're only going to be able to participate in the YouTube chats if you're a paid attendee because the, those URLs will be unlisted and only shared to participants during the convention. Like Chris said, after the conference is over, we'll flip them from, from unlisted to public so that the rest of the world can watch stuff uh, starting about a week or so afterwards, as though we were uploading the, the recordings from in the room at a live convention. And that's that's fine. 
for the audience, be, be cautious that if you wait that week, week and a half, two weeks, because you're too cheap to come be a part of this thing live. If you start asking questions in comments on YouTube videos, you may not get an answer. You may not get one very quickly if you get one at all, just because not everybody's going to monitor the, the, comment sections of every one of the YouTube videos. So, so if you want to be interactive, you kind of got to be there. Yeah. I, I just want to expand a little on your, your characterization of kind of that one, two, two, one format for the core events, each of the three core days. One of the other things that's, that's worked out well with that one, two, two, one format is those one hour ones tend to be more of a one man show that tends to be a more directed singular presentation by one or at most two people that are, are very focused and very particular, whereas the two-hour sessions are much more panel discussions, panel presentations, much more interactive. Hey, here's, here's three or four people with similar areas of expertise. Here are their particular slices of that pie. All right, audience, what are your questions? And it tends to be a lot more interactive at that point. Um, w which would make sense with a wider range of time to work with. Yeah, la last year we conducted a little experiment with the idea that the final sessions on the days were frequently, they were sessions where the sort of supposition was, we gave you a, a list of links that you could go watch videos on to get smart on a particular topic. And so it was sort of like the follow-up to that. It wasn't like the initial presentation, like Mike Markowitz did one on graphic design and war games, but we gave you the link to his George Georgetown University Wargaming Society presentation on graphics and war games. We didn't have them redo it because it's already out there on the web. We we gave you links to it so that you could you could go in and um, and you know ask my questions and he could explain stuff further, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're not doing that quite as much this year, um, in part just because of you know as anybody who's ever run a conference like this knows, um, part of that conference uh, preposition uh, preparation uh, piece is is going around and talking to people and saying, hey, what are you interested in doing? And then they go, I'm interested in doing a presentation on wargaming with dried fruit. And you go, okay, that, sound, that sounds good. I'll make that work, you know, or something like that. Um, That's I, an extended event right there. Yeah. I specifically picked that because my good friend Tom Pope has actually designed a war game where some of the playing pieces are like orange peels and stuff like that. He designed a, designed a game years ago that did that. So, so another thing to highlight is part of the way we look at the schedule is we try to have more professional topics covered during the core hours. And those things that are maybe professional or hobby or commercially oriented that are more niche markets in the extended events. And when we talk about core versus extended, extended is anything over the days of the conference plus the weekend after this year that uh, relate to connections type topics could be games, could be additional presentations. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But essentially, we try to have a professional core with topics that are going to have broad interest. And then we try to have those little niche things that will pique your interest and broaden your horizon. Yes. And so uh, it is the, the people who go to Connections and the people who, who last year came to Connections online recognized a lot of the people who were there as 
the group that I would call the usual suspects. Lots of professional war gamers. So it's an it's a uh, opportunity for professional war gamers to get together and talk with each other. But we define professional very, very loosely. Let's face it. Any group that's got me in there calling it professional has to be loosely defined. Well, you know, you've you've done professional. You've you've been paid by DOD to do war gaming in the past. So that. Well, yes. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, but uh, but I, I do want to emphasize, you know, don't think of this as being like the Moore's conference, where if you're not somebody who's who's like, you know, got a degree in it, you can't attend. That's explicitly not the purpose of connect, the Connections family of conferences. The Connections, it's called Connections because it was about establishing connections between people that are interested in wargaming that don't normally mix. So it has a tendency to have a heavy DOD focus, which is a understandable given the people that are putting it on and the people that are in our Rolodex, but B, by no means considered to be, you know, a limiting factor on our part, right? You know, if if I had 50 people who had absolutely nothing to do with DOD who showed up and said, hey, next year we want to have an entire day or two days that were just like non-DOD stuff where people wouldn't even mention the idea that defense exists. I'd say that's great. I don't have the ability to go and sort of trivially grab that the, that group of people and have them provide content, but I think it's fantastic. Likewise, you know, a lot of the people that attend are people that are interested in sort of how wargaming is used professionally um, in DoD and other places like that, but they're not in the business themselves. Some of them would like to be. There is at least one person associated with the Connections Conference that started off as just a college student who really wanted to get into wargaming. And he started going to the Connections Conference and made some contacts. And now he's actually professionally in the business. Um, and there we, you know, we this year's conference where the general topic is growing new wargamers, right? We decided we wanted to look at how you bring new blood into the hobby, how they get a job, how they get training, how they get into it, what they need to know, you know, maybe some networking opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, so that's sort of where we're kind of focused. So, you know, it's a good place to go if you want to, if you want to have the opportunity to go and talk to somebody who, who gets paid to do this stuff for a living and find out if it's for you, you, you know, this is a good place to, you'll, you'll have a ton of people you can ask that question. Now, I'll answer my own question. Beware the idea of taking your hobby and turning it into your career because it will change your relationship to your hobby. That doesn't necessarily mean it will ruin your hobby. It can for some people, but it will change your relationship with it. It's like if you learn, if you're uh, if you're interested in being a writer and you learn the hero's journey, you will see the hero's journey in everything out there. If you learn about filmmaking, you have this tendency to look at films and you spend all your time sort of back of your head analyzing everything that you see in the film. The same is true of game design. Is that if you're if you're if you're a professional gamer, every time you see, every time you play something, you're constantly thinking like, okay, does this mechanic work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's not bad. Some people it drives them crazy. Other people, you know, Mark Herman, Peter Perla, those folks, I mean, they're, they're 
are people I've known for 20 plus years. When they get together for fun, they play games, even though that's what they do in their day job. So they still get together. They still, they're still, you know, like, let's play this new game. I just got this new game, you know, and I've played games with, with Peter Perla, everything from hardcore war games to the, a game where ants are trying to bring back things to the anthill and you get points for whether you bring back like the best piece of fruit. So the other thing I'd like to point out with all this, Chris, is in my view, having joined Connections in the early 2000s, um, one of the key things about Connections is if you're serious about games and you're serious about games with the real world, that doesn't mean yeah. you exclude all that other stuff. There's lots of games that are just good as games. Yes. Like, you know, there are games on World War II that's all a bucket of dice, and that can be fun. But the kind of people that come to Connections and will enjoy Connections the most, in my view, are those people who are analytical, interested, and intellectually curious because games provide insight into the real world. And every one of them is a theory about how the world works. So every one of them is imperfect because all theories have to have a level of abstraction. But they're sometimes really, really useful. And they're an awful lot of intellectual and, you know, emotional fun. Chris, why does it sound like Merle's almost had that script written and ready to go for like... It's because it's part of me, Brant. Yeah. Because I didn't do this professionally. I'm, I'm sort of that neither fish nor fowl guy because we've done a few professional events, but it wasn't what I did for work. Merle, the wargaming platypus. That's right. There you I'm go. the odd guy out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's... it's there's nothing wrong with me, Brant. I'm telling you. There's nothing wrong yeah. with me. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Merle. Merle's background and where, and I can tell you where I met Merle. I met Merle um, when he was playing in the national security decision-making game in the mid to late nineties um, is when I met Merle. And at that point I worked for a software company because I had gone to graduate school. Get, that's get, what everybody did in the nineties. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But I mean, I, I was in graduate school working on degree in national security studies when the Berlin wall went down. That wasn't what killed my uh, defense career. What killed my defense career was desert storm because it sucked all the money for new hires. Basically, DOD didn't hire an entry-level person for about two years. Hey, hey Chris, I need, to, I need to put a real quick pause in here just because I want to mess with you guys. The yeah. Berlin Wall came down my senior year of high school. You can go on with we your story. We can't help it that you're young and inexperienced, Brad. Yes, yes. <laughs> you don't even remember where I stole the quote. But anyway... <laughs> I do. That was a that Ronald Reagan said that to uh, Walter Mondale during yeah. one of the president during the second presidential debate, if I remember correctly. So, so just for the record, I've been addicted much longer than that. I mean, I started in high school and I was running conventions over an eight-year period. My buddy and I were running two conventions a year that drew about 350 people in the Midwest. Uh, back in the, let's see, I started in 76 and ran cons to 84, and then I got a professional career. <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, I mean, the connections in general is for people that take wargaming seriously. Not that they do it professionally, although a bunch of us do, but they take, take it seriously. And, you know, there are people that take, you know, Dungeons and Dragons seriously, but they don't necessarily take games writ large seriously, right? So it's really for people that sort of take gaming, wargaming, gaming, etc., uh, writ large seriously. And, you know, we'll let you define what seriously means. Matt Caffrey, the founder of the, the Connections movement, um, described it as the least exclusive exclusive club. It, the only exclusion there that we that we that we want to make people sure that they understand is that this isn't quite like 
Origins. Um, you know, everybody who goes to a Connections conference is likely to have been to an Origins or a Gen Con or something like that. But if you're thinking of this in terms of, um, I'm going to go to this thing just because we're going to play games with dirigibles bombing people in World War, in alternate World War One. Yeah, that's really kind of not what it's about. There might be some stuff like that that takes place in the extended events because, hey, we're, you know, the Connections conference uh, always has a game night. Wednesday night is always the game night and everybody you know brings their box of games and we sit down and we play games because we're all game people right um and mo well most of us sit down and play games and and there's lots of gaming that takes place after hours at the connections so conference. do we really want to talk about how the venn diagram overlaps between geeks freaks war gamers and uh, other bad habits because essentially probably not since this is yeah. all audio it's really yeah. tough but, but basically no, what no, we're talking about is that you know, all of these people have interests that overlap. Almost everybody who comes to a Connections has some aspect of a sci-fi fan in them. A bunch of them have fantasy stuff in them. A bunch of them have a history buff part. I mean, and that's okay. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the percent mix of all of those is variable in each of us. But but you're right. Most of us have at least one, at least two, if not all three of those traits present somehow. Yeah, so. I think that the biggest dichotomy there might be between there are some people that are only interested in historical stuff. They're, they're hardcore history buffs, but not science fiction people. There are others that are, there's very few people that show it up, up at a connections conference that are hardcore science fiction people who aren't also history buffs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, uh, but it's, it's not necessarily the case that all the hardcore history people are science, science fiction fans. <laughs> Chris, you, you'd brought up an important point earlier with the idea of making your hobby your job. And and that's one of the things that I think some folks have, have misunderstood connections as being sort of the, the recruiting ground for all the think tanks that, that are looking for hobby wargamers to convert them into real wargamers, into, into professional wargamers. And that's that's not really the case. There's there's a lot of hobbyists that, that will show up at Connections and, and get a lot out of it just by understanding the kinds of perspectives that the professionals look at these games with. Because again, wargames are necessarily abstractions of what's happening. And so understanding some of the professional considerations that have been abstracted out for whatever reasons, uh, gives gives those kinds of players a better perspective on what they're looking at, and that's that's a useful thing, and and that that can can help with the enjoyment of of the game. There, one of the connections that hasn't happened as much as I I would have liked over the years, and it was a conversation with our good buddy Doctor Starrett out at Fort Leavenworth that kind of changed my my view on it a little bit. I've always been a little disappointed in the folks, particularly the ones in uniform, who who are are in some form of wargaming role in the professional world who are not hobbyists and have little if any interest in assimilating into the hobby wargaming world if these guys are your fa57s right your simulations officers in in the u.s army or your your modeling and sims guys in the navy or air force or whatever and these are your training and exercise people over at homeland security you, you didn't, you have to specifically ask for those roles. Those aren't something you just get assigned. You go, oh, damn it. I'm stuck being an FA 50s. Like you have to specifically request to go do that role. So if that's the kind of thing you're interested in, Hey, that's cool. Wouldn't you be interested in doing more of that than just what you're being fed at your day job? And, and James brought up a good point, And that is at a certain point, it feels like you're bringing work home with you. And yeah. if you're sitting there doing wargaming stuff all day, at the 
office. When you go home, you'd rather, you know, get out of, get, get out your putter and practice your putts on the back patio than necessarily come home and, and pull a war game off the shelf because you've been doing wargaming stuff all day long. And, and that's an interesting perspective. It, it, I still would like more of the professionals to engage with the hobby world more because I think there's a lot of good ideas they can learn from the hobby world. But I get that it's not necessarily going to turn into a lifelong pursuit the same way that the hobbyists approach it. Well, the other thing I want to be sure that we at least share is that connections is not a pathway to a career in wargaming in general because connections is a way to get diversity of thought. And when you talk about the professional business of wargaming, there are professional credentials and education levels that are required in most federal uh, wargaming, whether it is U.S. or non-U.S. The exceptions to that, and they have their own different criteria, are commercial gaming, certain military billets that deal with that because guys may not have a professional degree, but they get professional development in the field. Okay, gals and gals. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that you, you run into is uh, those people who are consultants of some kind and have demonstrated a clear expertise over time. You don't break into any of those things overnight. No, right. Not at all. That that said, you know, again, the the it's not the first of the professional wargaming gigs that I did. I actually got that working with somebody at Origins, but the first primary contract that I ever worked on, as opposed to getting added to someone else's existing project, was someone that I met at Connections in 2010. Uh, it, that that year, Connections was held in Dayton. Uh, it was in February ish, and by May we were working on a contract with the National Defense University. So that that was a you know a connection that was made at Connections. And we got connected and kept on connecting. And so people can be recognized for their skills at any point. But oh, yeah. If you're going to get hired professionally and be called a war gamer. That requires a lot of other components. Correct. Yeah. And I will I will admit, you know, there there's. During my career, people have come up to me, whatever my current job was, and said, hey, you've got this really cool job. How do you how do you get a job like that? And I'll just say, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but you're but you're doing that job. And it's like, yeah, but I just sort of kind of stumbled into it. I mean, that's how, the last time I got a job through the mechanism of I'm now going to find a job in like the, you know, the newspaper or online or something like that like that and apply for a for said job and interview for it the last time i got a job that way was 1999 yeah every other job i've had since then somebody has come to me and said hey how'd you like to take this job i've got a job would you like it <laughs> okay sure um and that's that's how i ended up in my current billet a friend of mine was getting ready to retire he said how'd you like to be my relief and back to the kind of the idea behind connections overall that that's sort of the point of what we're doing with the conferences is it's an opportunity to meet a lot of the folks in the field that at some point that discussion does come up of, hey, Chris, Merle, I've got this role. Is it something you would be interested in? If you're not, do you know someone who might be? Yeah. And, and it's, it's a part of what Rolodex are you in? You know, who knows that you are someone who might be interested in that role in that field and, and can 
can advocate on your behalf to to try and and work your way through there. Again, I don't want to make it sound like this is just some giant job fair in disguise. That's not no, the, not, that's not the intent of connections. It's an ancillary benefit of it, right. but it's an opportunity to to meet other folks in the field, to understand what's happening in the field, to to broaden your knowledge, not just your own individual knowledge of the kinds of things you can and could do with wargaming, but also what are other people doing with wargaming? Because they might have some really neat ideas that you can call upon at a future time to say, hey, hey, I remember you talking about this. Tell me some more about it. It's something I might be able to use in a project that I've got going on somewhere. And it's very much about expanding the breadth of your knowledge and your ability to adapt to different circumstances. I mean, I didn't come to Connections myself as a career move. I came to Connections because it was intellectually useful and stimulating to me. And yeah, I do a lot of war games and I go to a lot of conventions and run public games, but it, there ain't no money, okay? <laughs> so the thing to understand is... <laughs> to quote Ardwolf, there is in fact negative income. Exactly. It's become an avocation but as an extension of, of my hobby and, and the other things I'm interested in. So connections is a great way to expand your brain. And yeah. I can't say that enough. And you get to meet people where you'll feel like, if you're anything like me, like you're the dumbest guy in the room. And I like that. Yeah. Don't, don't worry, Merle. You got me around to help make you feel smarter. You're good. Okay. Uh, help me feel good? Great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just, so one of the this this must have been in 2020 when we were planning for the CNA connections. I, I actually sat in on a handful of the connections planning calls that year because I was in a position where I could get get involved a little bit that year. And and it's funny because because I sat in on a couple of those calls and and it was obvious from some of the discussion that a lot of the people that I've known through connections for the last decade and change still think of me as the kid brother in the room. And and to an extent I am because I was already younger than all of y'all and it's not like I'm getting older any faster than you guys are. But the big difference is, first of all, there's a lot more kids involved now than there were when when I was around as one of those kids, which is a good thing. But the other thing that occurred to me is that most of y'all still think I'm like 34 years old. <laughs> because that's when y'all met me. <laughs> and, and and that's not really the case so much anymore. Like I turned 50 this summer. Well, you know, the other thing that you like, you've got some the other thing that's interesting is, you know, not having been in the professional side and having only known a couple of people at Connections, what really helped me is I had camouflage. It's called gray hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it also helped that I had met and become acquainted with several of the principles involved in different processes. And the way I came into the professional side of the hobby was through two guys who worked at the Naval War College. And that uh, that kind of a social introduction uh, led to very rapid acceptance, which was unusual because A, I was an older guy who came in they'd never seen before. And B, I came in from the hobby side, but I had, you know, professional references, which was useful. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and my initial involvement with connections, like I was still, I, I think the first connections I went to, I was actually already out of the military by then. But when I first met the folks that brought me into connections, um, I was still serving in the National Guard. So, I mean, I had the credibility of having had a tree suit on for a while. Um, but I met a lot of those folks through Origins. And and when I first showed up at connections, Merle, not not dissimilar to you, the, the folks introducing me to the crowd had a little bit of gravitas that kind of rubbed off on me deservedly or not <laughs> when, when you've got folks like you know matt caffrey and james sterrett saying oh yeah this this is that brant guy that we know that that does help get you in the door
As the Dragoons proudly charge into their eighth season of Mentioned in Dispatches, we'd like to pause and thank those Patreon supporters who pledged at the regimental patron level. So a heartfelt thanks to Treb Curry, Staggerwing, Patrick Mullen, Mike Quigley, Hepwell Wargames, Patrick Garrity, Robert, Kevin Bertram, and Joseph Knoll for their support of the Armchair Dragoons and enabling us to bring you the best wargaming content we can. You, too, can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchair dragoons. So one of the things that, uh, that that we ought to bring up around connections, and one of the things that I think is really kind of cool over the last several years, from the time I started going to connections uh, a decade plus ago at this point, obviously not as long as you guys, but still quite a while. One of the constant conversations was, hey, we got to figure out how to get younger blood into this profession. Chris, to your point, people were stumbling into wargaming jobs. There was no sort of career pathway to it. Um, Having been one, I would liken it to being a business analyst in the software business. There are zero people on this planet that went to school to become a software business analyst. They might have tried to be some other kind of software analyst. Nobody tries to be a business analyst, everybody backs into it. Nobody's going to school wanting to become a professional war, or they didn't for the longest time, wanting to become a professional wargaming, wargamer. They just stumbled into it. And and as a result of that stumbling into it, what you had was uh, a, a fairly narrow, tall pyramid with lots of the same people up top that stayed there forever and not a lot of entry points into, into the wargaming world. And, and when I first started going to Connections, people were talking about this is a problem. And people were people in the crowd were saying, you know, this, we've been talking about this problem for 15 years. Well, here we are 15 years later, and we still keep talking about it being a bit of a problem, except that over the last five years, I think there's been some pretty good strides in uh, opening pathways, especially to the college kids by being able to put official programs on college campuses to help get kids engaged and, and involved. And in, in, look, I'm calling them kids because they're all 30 years younger than me at this point. So that whether it's the Georgetown University Wargaming Society, obviously the most visible of those, or Rex's folks up at McGill and the, the peace gaming stuff that he does up there, Mercyhurst, Duke, Stanford, there's a bunch of different places that now have uh, wargaming or serious gaming programs beyond just, hey, here's how to code something in the Unreal Engine to make a shooter game, like actual serious, meaningful games. We've now got a body of knowledgeable, interested, enthusiastic participants that are that next generation to bring up through through wargaming. And that's part of what we're trying to do with this specific Connections Online. Well, I think another thing to keep in mind is there are, are two things that happen over that 15 years that help change the environment. One, strange as it sounds, is stuff like connections and the more COPs from the military operations research side, because it started to talk about wargaming as a profession Mm -hmm. rather than a niche. The second thing is, with the advent of all these computer games, people started to see intellectual possibilities and professional wargamers started moving into the IT space, so it was less visible, the differentiation between them. So when the colleges started talking about game design, initially a lot of it was IT type stuff. 
and, and computer games, and then it's branched out. For example, I got contacted by a university here in Ohio this year that they got purely a, a, a PC game program, and they realized they needed to expose people to the other side, so they're talking about having us come down and do some demos. So yeah. the, the thing to understand is 15, 20 years ago, there were these stovepipes of excellence that finally have started to break down, where people are starting to look for people who are analytical, thoughtful, and serious, rather than just, oh, gee, I need a guy with an ops research degree so he can do modeling and sims, or I... I need a guy who's been in a green suit long enough to understand the tactical interaction between weapon systems, and then I sort of shove him into a wargaming spot because he, he now is trying to convert reality into a model. Yeah. And and that's the way traditionally in the United States and in DOD, it's all the guys who are ORs. And when you look at the different organizations who employ people they call wargamers now, their core business wasn't war game. Yeah. You know, Chris works for the Air Force, and although he's not here speaking for his employer, I can tell you that almost every Air Force gamer I've met is either a guy who was in a blue suit and got pushed into a wargaming billet, either by volunteering or being forced, or it's a guy who's an engineer or specialist in the area that he's now wargaming. So like AFRL, it's all air, aerospace engineers. And you go, yeah, I'm going to go and become an aerospace engineer and then convert to a wargamer. That's my career path. Nope. That's not how it works. I should emphasize that any any rumor that I work for the Air Force is a dirty slander, or at the very <laughs> least, I don't speak for any employer past, present, and probably future. Yeah, well, I speak for myself and not any of my past, present, or future employers unless it's me. <laughs> I'm not sure Merle speaks for past, present, or future Merle some days. So. Well, you know, it helps if you're schizophrenic because you can meet me twice. Chris, one of the things that I think is kind of cool about Connections Online and, and whether it was intentional in its design between last year and this year, it's starting to develop a bit of a pattern, is the the idea of some experimental ideas in panel design or in extended events where we're not afraid to, to sort of stretch things a little bit into some off-the-wall stuff that you wouldn't normally find at the bigger in-person Connections conferences. And I think that there are a couple, probably a couple reasons for it and again if we're talking Venn diagrams it's it's the middle of the combination of th this is a fairly low overhead conference so if we try something yep. and it doesn't work it's not like you're out a thousand bucks for plane tickets and hotels and per diem and all that right you're out five bucks in a couple of days of sitting in front of a computer screen which you were gonna do anyway right let's yep. face it we're just giving you something different to look at on the screen so the, there's a combination of that there's a combination of intentionally trying to do something different than you would normally find with the connections world there's also the ability to bring in people for for a very narrow slice of time that they wouldn't likely commit to the travel to have to be in person and and to an extent let's face it there's a little bit of hey we got some time to fill let's go ahead and get a little wacky if we got to do it anyway so so there's been some experimental stuff that we've pulled in that in some cases has worked very well and in other cases chris to quote your favorite saying you know the experiment was a success we learned not to do that again yeah yeah and and that's that's very intentional on my part um both in sort of general terms i've always kind of tried to do things like that. When I worked for the Center for Naval Analysis, um, I spent a lot of time as an exercise analyst. It was a collateral duty. So I was the crazy guy they could get to go ride a, a Navy ship on two weeks notice. And um, I always tried to do something different each time I went. So like um, 
sometimes I, you know, like there was one time I decided not to take a laptop to sea with me because um, it was a sor- sort of exercise. I knew I wasn't going to be doing a whole lot of work at sea. And I basically I took my Palm Pilot with me and I wrote my trip report on a Palm Pilot with a little attached keyboard. And that actually worked surprisingly well for that kind of exercise, for the type of exercise I was doing on that one. And I changed the size of the notebooks and, you know, this and that and the other thing. And I tried all sorts of different stuff. I always tried to do at least one thing differently. When it came to connections online, I one of the things I noticed early in the days of COVID is that everybody was talking in terms of online events as I'm going to start with this in-person event and figure out how to replicate it as close to possible online. And it's like, well, okay, let's sit back and think about that for a second. There's all these things that are really constraints that you operate under when you're doing stuff in person. And is that a constraint, you know, or do you still have to follow that constraint? Like my favorite one of these, and this is one that's actually been subjected to a lot of conversation between the three of us, is the idea of having parallel tracks in the con. Because, you know, you have parallel tracks when you've got an event um, because, you know, people are paying for hotels and they can't be out of their office for for three weeks. So you end up having three tracks and, you know, there inevitably is the time when you want to be in three different places at the same time and you can't do that. Right. And so I was kind of hard over early on and like, let's let's put that at the bottom of the list of the things we do, because we can always just make the make the conference go long. Last year, we had all sorts of conversations about ideas like maybe the conference runs on Mondays for a month, but only on Mondays. Okay. You know, we may still try something like that. We kind of decided against it on the theory that people sort of want to get into a particular mindset and it's, it's probably easier for them to sell it to their boss as I'm going to a conference. I'm doing air quotes for those who aren't on the stream. (laughs) I'm going to a conference boss, leave me alone. Um, You know, so there, there are some reasons there are human habits that we had to take into account. We didn't have total free reign to do things. Um, But, you know, we, we also didn't feel like we were trapped by the, you know, the trappings of the past. There's things we've done to accommodate uh, the traditional view, which is why we have the, the more broad-based uh, events during core hours, because then people who are trying to do it for professional development might get the boss to say, yeah, take those two hours to do that. And we separated the, the sessions a little bit and had natural endings so people can do bathroom breaks or emergency phone calls and you know those types of things. But the overall concept is you can consume it as you need it. Yeah. And, and offering it in a way that's practical, because one of the other considerations behind all of this, so we have truth in advertising, was how can only a couple of people run this thing so it has value? So yeah. you know, we had a team of three or four of us, depending on the days. We pulled it together. We used our Rolodexes plus some imagination. And we've tried to diversify even more this year, because, I mean, this shouldn't just be the old white guy network, okay? It's, it's designed to provide a tool for as many people as we can because i don't know about brant because he's the young guy but i i've got this sense that i've spent you know since i started gaming in 1974 okay dated myself okay um but you know since i started gaming i've learned a lot and i want to see that that goes to the next generation because you know lord knows you're, you're not supposed to lose that knowledge when somebody disappears yeah yeah well 
and, and one of the other things that's happened with that core versus extended event dichotomy in, in the way we've set it up, the core events essentially don't have a registration limit on them, right? They're, they're, they're wide yeah. open broadcast, the, the more traditional presentation style, even, even as an interactive seminar style. Um, the, the expectation is that anybody registering for the conference should be able to attend a core event. We're not putting an attendance cap on any of those things. Whereas some of the extended events will necessarily have extended, will have some attendance caps on them if some of those extended events are actual games or or boot camps on how to do certain things and and those are capped by the number of people that the, the presenters can reasonably coach through those activities so Tim and Carl are coming back from the war game boot camp and and they're going to be running a bunch of those boot camp sessions they're, they're capped at about 12 people that they can reasonably walk through all of those things that they're doing if you're playing a four-player game we're capping it at four people like that's that's all the game plays so there are some things that that are going to be limited uh, in the extended events but we put those in the extended events where those limitations make sense and, and you that, just came up with a great segue to talk about the program yeah well there, there is that so so we probably should do that at least a little bit <laughs> the core events as chris said that there's sort of this one two two one format so there's there's an opening hour each day that's that's a more directed not quite a one-man show but but a more directed focused sort of intense hour event and then we've got a couple of those panels in there that are the two-hour group discussion almost kinds of things and then we we close each day with with again a more directed presentation and some of the group things that we have happening this time around again with the idea of growing and developing new war gamers the plan right now and again this could ch- this, this could change by the time i start editing this thing but the plan right now is we're going to have a panel on hiring war gamers like we've got a couple of people that are going to be there who have in the past hired people to come be war gamers at their their organizations what are the kinds of things they're looking for what are the kinds of things that they ask what are the kinds of things that matter on the resume that are going to help differentiate you not just that you should put them on the resume but what are the kinds of experiences you need to have to even put on the resume so that it's, it's a valid representation of who you are. Um, something that I think is going to be kind of cool, we talked about kind of broadening the, the the pool of people involved in connections, and Chris kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier. We have a pair of panels that are getting away from war games specifically we have one panel that's going to be talking about sort of war game adjacent kinds of games things that that have appealed to war gamers but are not strictly uh war games themselves things like john company the the game about the east india trading company uh meltwater nicaea uh, a handful of things published by Hollenspiel, quite frankly, but then a, a variety of other things from other folks that that are war game ish, but not not you know actual like kinetic shooting war kind of stuff. Um, we've got another panel that's going to be looking at professional war gaming uh, in terms of of training exercise tabletop exercise sort of work that doesn't exist in the DoD world. Um, Chris, you mentioned this earlier in the in mm-hmm. the podcast. So we're bringing in folks from commercial organizations that have training exercise divisions, whether it's because there is a need to coordinate with somebody like Homeland Security or Department of Energy or whoever. Um, There's a whole lot of cyber activity out there that is taking place in the commercial world that, that is coordinating with governments, coordinating with DOD, with Cyber Command, with whoever else, but is not, they, they don't work for them. They're they coordinating out of their own goodwill, but they're still going to be doing the kinds of training and exercise and professional development that you find very similar to professional wargaming. So we're going to bring some of those folks in and talk to them. Those are a couple of the kinds of panels that that we're going to have. And, and again, we're not committing to 
exactly which day yet because there's still a couple things shuffling around on the schedule. Um, on the extended side, I'll let Merle talk about a couple more of them here in a second. But one of the things I do want to note is the 40th anniversary of the Falklands War. And so one of our presenters that's that's been present not only at Connections Online last year, but also at several of the Dragoons ACDCs uh, is bringing together a panel of some people who were actually there to talk about the Falklands War as as a panel discussion, but then also going to have a seminar game one night that's that's going to run for a couple of hours that's going to be fighting their way back through the the Falklands. Um, and again, that's not necessarily a developing new war gamers kind of thing. That's taking advantage of the fact that's the 40th anniversary of that conflict. And so Peter's going to dig into that with a couple of sessions in the extended events. So, Merle, what else we got on the extended document? Well, the one thing I always like to mention is one you've already talked about because it's in line with our whole online structure, and that's the Wargame Bootcamp. And this is a group of guys that are connected to the Armchair Dragoons that have consented, and at last year as well as this event, to do boot camps on how to use Vassal and the various other online tools that are out there, tabletop uh game type tools so that's a big plus and there are going to be several sessions of that even though they're capped with with uh, the number of slots but we also have some niche things that we've got lined up uh we've got a speaker coming from hmgs next gen to talk about how to introduce gaming in your schools and how to build enthusiasm this is a a guy who actually teaches high school that uh, is going to talk about how HMGS East, the historical miniatures gaming people, are promoting both board games and miniature games in schools. Um, Jim Dietz is going to join us from the Dietz Foundation to talk about why he thinks war gaming is important and to talk about the kinds of things he looks for in any game he's interested in publishing. So this is this is not really a sales opportunity for him, but it's to give you an idea of what he looks for in a quality game. Uh, we've also got got a commitment from Jason Matthews, the guy that did Twilight Struggle, Founding Fathers, Making the President 1960, to talk about how he works on Paul Mill games. So he's scheduled to come in. We're, we're trying to tighten down the exact time. Um, so this is the kind of stuff that we've been looking at during and for extended events. And then my team is going to do a little experiment. This is where we're getting fancy. We're going to talk about how would you design a game on a topic? And we're going to use the American Revolution as our sample because we're working on that right now for our purpose, but we'll talk about different choices you can make. Do you want to make a board game? Do you want to make a role-playing game? Do you want to, and the kinds of considerations that you might have in each of those. And that's an experiment because one, we're dealing with things we're highly skilled in and things that we have ex some experience with because that range varies depending on whether we're talking role game, role-playing games, matrix games, whatever, but we'll have interaction with the audience to say, okay, if we do it this way, what are the kinds of things we would consider? If we do it that way, what are the kinds of things? we consider. And we'll try to do that for a couple of hours and see if that has resonates with people and is useful. Yeah. And then we'll just make the rest of it up as we go because nobody will know the difference if we do it well enough. Well, remember, they don't know what we're going to tell them. They only know what we tell them. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll do our best to make it useful and interesting. And that's the goal. All right, Chris, assuming we haven't put the audience to sleep yet, what are your final thoughts on the matter here as we sort of wrap up this infomercial on Connections Online and, and the Connections conferences more broadly? Well, I, I just emphasize it's the 19th through 21st for the uh, for the core events. The extended events start the day before the 18th and run through the following weekend. So core is, is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, extended is Monday through Sunday and also potentially before and after. Thank <laughs> you. 
if you're interested in yeah as a reference point that is the week immediately after easter this year so as yeah. folks are sort of conceptualizing that in their head that's starting last year connection started the weekend before and went through the weekend after we had like nine days this year the weekend before is easter so we're staying off of that that's why we're starting on a monday yeah um the the connections us conference is going to be held in the washington dc area and it's going to be sometime in july i forget exactly when but if you do a search for it yeah you should be able to find it um um, and, you know, basically, I, I can tell you when in July it's going to be because my birthday's right in the middle of it. Oh, they, go for it. Yeah. Like, so my birthday is the 26th. And so it's, it's like the two days before and the one day after. So it's like the 24th to 27th or so of July. Yeah. I may be off by a day one way or the other, but I've had like three different people all ask me about being on panels this year. And I've told them all to go pound sand. I love you guys. Yeah. I I love you guys. You guys are great friends. I am not spending my 50th birthday at connections. I'm just not. Oh, now he stated himself. We got it. Yeah. No, he said, he said 50th before. Um, So, um, you know, and, and I guess what I would, what I would say is, and if anybody who's listened to us tonight and you're going like, well, I don't know if this is the conference for me or not, pay the five bucks and try it, you know, conduct the experiment, you know, you may, you may conclude the experiment was a success. I'm never going to do this again, but we're really, as Matt Caffrey would say, we're the least exclusive, exclusive club there is. If you take war game, if you take any sorts of games seriously and you want to go spend some time talking about games with people who take games seriously, um, you know, we're the, we're the group to go come talk to. So, and if you got any questions, you know, let Brant know, let me know, let Merle know. Um, happy to answer questions. And and one of the other things just to throw out there is spread the word, right? Please share this with folks that that might be interested, might be tangentially interested, folks that might be in a position where again, for a lot of the hobbyists that are listening to this, because that's a lot of the core audience at the, you know, here here at the Jurgens website, uh, there's a lot of folks for whom war games are, you know, it's it's squad leader and you know, great battles of the American Civil War kind of stuff. There's a lot in the professional space that wargaming does in in a variety of analytical and rehearsal type uses if you've got folks or or organizations that you may know or be involved in yourself that could benefit from some wargaming tools in the professional sense whether it's it's analyzing potential futures or rehearsing known you know exercises that you're going to have to do at some point and and there are wargame professional wargame tactics that not tactics but techniques and procedures that might benefit them again look we're spending a bunch of time this year at connections online specifically focused on those usages in a non-national security non-military context bring them out let them come check it out Mm -hmm. so um cool well listen guys thank you very much for being here tonight it's it's always good to chat with you even though we're doing it every week now as we prepare for for this (laughs) coming conference um but again you know just to, to stress to folks uh share the ideas far and wide please let's let's you know take a chance come come check it out come join us come have some fun again it's it's a fairly low stress environment it's an easy pool to dip your toe into uh, this is not uh the cannonball off the diving board into the deep end this is this is the zero depth entry pool that you can slowly wade into and if you're only comfortable going up to your knees that's fine go that go as far as you're comfortable and uh and and enjoy what what we've got to put in front of you while you're there so Good deal. Uh, audience, thank you for joining us here on Mention and Dispatches. We really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. Uh, Chris, live long and prosper. Merle, eh, whatever. <laughs>
I'm picking on you, man. If you're if you're interested in some of the stuff that Merle is is also doing, go look up the National Security Decision Making Game. They will be making the rounds of a bunch of the game conventions this summer, and so you have a chance to to go play in some of those with Merle. And Chris, is, is Starfleet Tactical still running on Saturday nights? Yes, yes, it is. So if you go over to the Axonar channel or the Aries Studio channel. You can see my colleague, Pat Doyle, and I talk about all sorts of different things. It's the intersection of the, we're really big on Venn diagrams today. It's the intersection of the Venn diagram between Star Trek in in specific science fiction in general and military topics. So like I spent um, the last two sessions talking about bridges and combat information centers in Star Trek and other science fiction and in the real world and, you know, what they're all for, et cetera, et cetera. So Saturdays at 10 p.m., uh, Eastern time. Yeah. And just follow the link that's down below on this podcast, and that'll get you over to Starfleet Tactical, where you can check out past broadcasts and set your alarm to watch them in the future. Um, So cool. Thanks, everybody. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of Mentioning Dispatches. Dispatches.